have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them and join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 49, please. Genesis, chapter number 49. We are nearing the end of this particular story and really of this particular book. Uh, We have been studying together the life of Joseph, and it has been a phenomenal teaching and preaching series. Uh, At least it has spoken to my heart as I have uh, dove into his life. I had a dear lady in our church, faithful lady here, uh, tell me that Joseph is one of her favorite stories in all of the Bible. And I think probably many of us would agree with her on that. There may be no clearer picture of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ in all the Old Testament than Joseph. So many parallels and things that we can learn. And so it has been at least a helpful thing for me. I hope it's been a blessing and a help to you. But today we're looking in Genesis chapter number 49, and we will preach through a significant portion of this chapter, not all of it, but we'll get through most of it today. And I want you to look with me, if you would, in the very first verse of this particular chapter where we find these words. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Over the next several verses, we're going to find that he addresses each and every one of his boys. He gives some insight into their lives, and he tells them what the future is going to look like for them and for their offspring, for their children. I've entitled the message this morning, Judgment Day, because that's really what we find in this particular text. We find a day of judgment. Perhaps some of you can think of different judgment days or moments of of judgment in your life in which you have entered into a time in which someone in a position of authority over you sat you down and perhaps worked or walked you through a particular scenario and maybe doled out some type of maybe punishment or maybe some type of reward. When I was 18 years old, I, I personally left home and I moved to Powell, Tennessee, which is just north of Knoxville, to attend Crown College. I believe that the Lord had called me to preach and felt like a call to preach is a call to prepare. And so I went to Bible College. And I I remember when I got there, learning different things about the school. One of the things that we did there was each week we would have a mid-morning chapel hour on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Most of of the time, this chapel hour would feature a sermon by a faculty member or perhaps a visiting guest. Maybe it was a another pastor from the area or perhaps uh, traveling through that area. Maybe it was a missionary or maybe it was an evangelist. And, and some of these chapel services and messages were quite memorable and some of them were not. It's just sort of the way it goes. Just like any, on any Sunday you come and perhaps maybe the message that's preached is memorable some Sundays and some of them it's, maybe it's not as much. And that's sort of how things were for us. On occasion, I remember the president of our college would would appear on the platform, and he, he, would, he would be carrying a manila folder. You know, those so, sort of those legal-style folders that someone would maybe pull out of a briefcase. He would come up on the platform, he would sit right in this chair over here, and he would be holding that. Well, when I first got to college, I didn't really think a whole lot about that. I was completely unaware of what that meant, but I would soon find out that that folder usually contained some record of a violation of rules in the school handbook or and, and it would follow with also a 
stern public rebuke or reprimand to those involved. That was normally the pattern. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe a little bit of a slow learner, but it wasn't long before I figured out when he showed up carrying one of those, somebody was done. <laughs> somebody was in some serious trouble. And you know, I remember sitting and waiting for him to get up and he would greet everyone and he would open that manila folder and, and, uh, and I used to, you know, start to look around and think to myself, okay, who's out of here now, <laughs> you know, and whose day has it, is it? And, and, I, and I just have to tell you that I was a normal 18 to 21 year old during those years and there were times that he would appear carrying that and I would fret that I was the subject of whatever was in that particular manila folder. I remember thinking to myself, oh man, maybe today's, you know, I went from looking around saying, whose day is it, to sitting there saying, please don't let it be my day, you know, I don't want to be the guy that is, is called out here this morning. You know what I discovered? I discovered that uh, during days in which maybe I had perhaps in recent days done something foolish or perhaps violated some type of a rule that might have been found in a specific rule book, I would not sit on judgment day, as it were, when he would appear on that platform, I would not sit in that chapel hour very comfortably. I'd be kind of a little shifty and a little nervous and maybe even looking for, okay, what's the closest exit in case I need to, you know, make an escape route here? And, and, uh, and, and I can remember that that would sort of be my, my mindset. And then there were other times that he would appear and instead of not being comfortable, instead I would sit very confidently in that room knowing that I had not yet, not, that I had not recently violated any school rule or school code of conduct. And I have to tell you, I enjoyed Judgment Day a lot more when I knew that there was nothing that I had done worthy of being publicly reprimanded or judged for. It's just a different just a different mindset. When I was doing right, I didn't mind that he appeared with that manila folder. But when I was doing wrong, I was, I gotta tell you, I was a little nervous when he would show up carrying that, wondering, is he going to call me out in this service here this morning? You know, there's a theme in scripture that reveals that reveals that man has his own free will and that as such, man is capable of doing whatever it is that he chooses to do in his life. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he warned them of the forbidden fruit, but he ultimately, listen, he ultimately let them decide whether they were going to obey God or disobey God. It was their choice to make. He, he, he gave Adam and Eve two sons, Cain and Abel. And it seems pretty obvious that God's expectation of what kind of offering they would be to, to, that they would bring to him was given. They all knew what it was, but he let them decide whether they were going to abide by his word and by his law or whether they were going to do their own thing. God led Israel out of Egyptian bondage, but, but God then gave them the choice as to whether they would enter the promised land by faith or whether they would refuse to do so out of fear. God graciously blessed a man by the name of Judas Iscariot, who we do not have very positive thoughts about here this morning, but God, think about how good God was to him by giving him three years to walk alongside the Messiah. But listen, God did not cancel the transaction that Judas made to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
Along with the theme that God allows a man or a woman to choose what he will or what he won't do, there is another biblical theme that is found in the Bible, and that is this. Yes, you can do whatever you decide to do. However, understand this. You can also, you cannot avoid the day of judgment that is coming. The message is clear in Scripture. You are free to do what you wish. But you should consider that a day of judgment is coming. Adam's judgment still afflicts all of us today, doesn't it? Sure, Adam, Adam had a choice in the garden and he chose poorly. And as a result, you and I deal with things that we would never have had to deal with if it wasn't for Adam's choice in that garden. His son Cain, his son Cain would slay his brother Abel because of, 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 uh, of jealousy and hatred. But listen, in his day of judgment, listen to what he would cry out. Here's what Cain would say in Genesis 4.13. My punishment is greater than I can bear. That's a, that's a, a terrible day of judgment. The Israelites who refused to enter the promised land by faith, but instead were controlled by fear, all of them were sentenced to death in the wilderness. Judas would, listen, think about this. Judas would never spend a single coin of the 30 silver coins that he betrayed the Lord with, but instead would hang himself over his immense guilt for what he had done. I'm just simply saying, listen, you can choose how you're going to live, and the things that you're going to do. And you can obey God's word or you can choose to disobey God's word. But I understand this, there is always a day of judgment that is coming. In our text, we have a judgment day of sorts. Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the grandson of Abraham lies on his deathbed and he's 147 years old, according to Genesis 47 and verse number 28. He's surrounded by his 12 sons. He had called them to be near him as he was very close to death. And here's why. He wanted to tell them what would befall them in the future, what would happen to them and their sons and their grandsons in the future. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jacob as he speaks of things and sees things that no mortal man could have seen or could have spoken about. And in a very real sense, listen, This is a picture. What we find in Genesis 49 is a picture or an Old Testament type of a concept known as the judgment seat of Christ spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The Bible there says in verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Sons of Jacob had all lived their lives as they had chosen to do so. And now Jacob, on his deathbed, would reveal to them what the future held. For some, the future was very good. And for some, the future was not so good. Some would be rewarded and others would be ashamed just as the judgment Paul writes of in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 will feature some good and some bad, some reward and some punishment. On this day of judgment that is coming, you and I will all stand, the Bible says, before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all appear in that place. Hidden and secret things will be revealed in that day. I'm thinking that had the sons of Jacob thought 
about that day, it might have prevented, it might have prevented some of their wicked behavior, and yet, and yet I'm not so sure. See, you and I are well aware that there is a day of judgment coming, that all of us will stand before God, whether it be the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, one for the lost and one for the saved. All of us know that. We know that intellectually. It's in our mind. But so often we, we carry on and we do our own thing and we live our own way. And the judgment seat of Christ, that day in which we'll stand before God in judgment, does not weigh in oftentimes to the choices and the decisions that we're making. Whether you're thinking along those lines or not, whether you're living your life in light of a judgment day or not, understand this, judgment day is coming. And the following principles that I glean from this particular chapter help us to understand a little bit better our judgment day that is coming for us on the horizon. I want to consider Genesis 49, and I'm praying that it will help to shape our thinking and maybe even help us to be a little bit more prepared for our own day of judgment that is sure to come according to the word of God. Four things that I want to call out to your attention as we observe from this particular text. Number one, I want to say this. We discover on judgment day that the father knows his children. The father knows his children. Would you look in verse number one, Jacob called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Jacob's request here in the first two verses is that his sons would gather around his bed so that he can tell them what will befall them in the last days. His words, listen, his words will be inspired by God. But listen, not only are they inspired by God, but I want you to understand they are also, they're also the result of his careful observation and general knowledge of how they have lived throughout their lives. So in other words, as, as these boys were living, Jacob was watching. Jacob was observing. He, know, he knew their strengths and he knew their weaknesses. He knew their tendencies. He, he, he knew the things that they were drawn to and the things that perhaps they weren't drawn to. Why? Because the father knows his children. The father is one of the few in the lives of these men who stood around his bed. He's one of the few who had known them from birth. So listen, as, as in an earthly sense, his observation is as complete as just about any human could make. He was there the day they were born. He was there when they took their first steps. He was there perhaps when they learned to read and when they learned to write. He was there when they worked their first day out in the field or perhaps with the sheep and with the flock. He was there on the day that they were married. He was there on the day that they became parents. He was there on their good days and on their bad days. From beginning to end, the father has complete opportunity to observe the lives of his children? Can I say the same influence that will fill his mouth on this day? Because we know that this is not just him speaking of his own observation, but we know that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through him. That same influence that spoke through Jacob that day, the Holy Spirit of God, listen, that same influence will stand in judgment over us someday. 
Just as Jacob observed his sons as they grew up and as they lived and as they did the good and as they did bad and as they did right and they did wrong, understand, listen, there is a Father in heaven who is observing you and I as we live down here. And the Father knows his children. So often we do things, we do them in secret, we do them in the dark, and we think no one knows, no one sees. Perhaps maybe you're a young person and you're hiding right now some things from your mother and from your father, and you've been successful at it. Maybe you're a husband or maybe you're a wife and you've been hiding some things from your spouse. And to this point, as far as you know, no one knows. Maybe you're an employee, and you've been hiding some things, maybe stealing some things from your employer, and you think to yourself, no one knows. And that may be true. Maybe no human being knows what you've done. And maybe, listen, maybe just maybe you'll go to the grave and no one will ever find out. And you'll think, I have won! I have, I have played the, the, the hardest game in the world there is to play, and that is to live my life any which way I want to. And no one never ever knew. No one ever found out. And I just want to remind you something. The Father knows. The Father knows. He knows all. Just because you've not yet had your day of judgment down here, just because, young people, your parents haven't sat you down, the principal of your school or the headmaster of your school hasn't sat you down, just because your boss hasn't called you into his office and has confronted you with what you've done doesn't mean that you've gotten away with it. No, there is a, there is a God in heaven who observes carefully his children. He knows all things. The Bible says in Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his going. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Hebrews 4 and verse number 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, listen, there is no way, there is no way that you could live your life absent, absent from the careful observation of your heavenly Father. He knows, he sees. Father knows his children. But notice, secondly, as we continue down this journey through Genesis 49, this judgment day, we learn a second truth. Not only does the father know his children, but we discover, secondly, that the father, the judge, judges them by their fruits. Number two, we discover by their fruits they are known and judged. By their fruits they were known and judged. In verse number three, he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. On what basis is this judgment on this judgment day made? Well, that's a good question for us to ask. You know, these next verses reveal, listen, they reveal that birth order, wealth, or power are not the basis from which the judge declares his sentence. 
As he gets started, he looks at Reuben. Reuben's the firstborn. He's the oldest. To Reuben should belong everything because he's the excellency of his power. He's the beginning of his strength. Reuben certainly thinks, well, today's my day. But listen, understand, this, this judgment is not based on birth order. This judgment is not based on your last name. This judgment is not based on the fact that you were a church member. This judgment is not based on the fact that everyone thought good things about you. No, this judgment is based upon what the Father has observed. And we discover that this judgment is based upon fruit. You see, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, "Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth, not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast in the fire. And then Jesus says this, wherefore, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. We discover some fruit in the lives of the first four of Jacob's children that are addressed here. Number one, I want you to consider that he judges the first three on the fruit of their unconfessed sin. The fruit of unconfessed sin. In verses three to seven, you read verse number three, and I have to think that Reuben, he begins to well up with pride as Jacob looks at him and says, Reuben, you're my firstborn. You're my might. You're the beginning of my strength. You're the excellency of dignity. You're the excellency of power. And don't you just suppose Reuben is looking around saying, that's me. He's looking at his brother saying, that's not you. I'm the firstborn. You're the secondborn. You're the thirdborn. You're the fourthborn. You're not the excellency. That's me. But, but, but Jacob didn't stop there. Then he says this. He says, you're unstable as water. That had to cut to the heart. Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Reuben was the firstborn, and, and culturally, as far as society was concerned, he was worthy of a double portion. But Reuben's moment of pride is quickly erased when his dad accuses him of being as unstable as water. Reuben's secret sin of a sexual encounter with his father's wife, Bilhah, recorded for us in Genesis 35 and verse number 22. It's explicit. It was exposed before everyone on this day of judgment. It's likely that Reuben thought he could carry this secret with him to the grave. But listen, the father knew. Because the father knows his children. The father knew. Reuben's refusal, listen, his refusal to repent and confess this sin made him unworthy of the honors that are traditionally reserved for the firstborn. Listen, remember, this judgment is not based upon birth order. It's not based upon these things. It's based upon fruit. And the fruit of Reuben's life is sexual impurity followed by a refusal to get right, followed by a desire to continue to hide this and to keep this a secret so that no one ever knew John Phillips writes the following about Reuben. Remember, remember Jacob said, he said, thou shalt not excel in verse number four. John Phillips writes, and he never did excel. His tribe never rose to prominence in Israel. None of the tribe ever ruled, ever rose to prominence except in a negative sense. Not one of the judges was a Reubenite. 
Reuben was the first tribe to demand its inheritance and careless of consequences, rashly chose the wrong side of the Jordan. Reuben could not wait for the best and Reuben was the first tribe to be carried into captivity by Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 26, John Phillips concludes, he says, the Reubenites excelled in nothing. But notice the next two sons are addressed. They're kind of paired together. Their names are Simeon and Levi. With Reuben being unworthy of the firstborn privileges, perhaps Simeon, he's the nextborn. And maybe Simeon says, okay, he's out. That must mean I'm in because I'm next in line. Maybe Levi standing next to Simeon and saying, you know, if dad's got some negative things to say about Simeon, well, I'm next. Maybe I'll get the birthright. Maybe I'll be the one that rules in the family. And yet, we discover that this was not to be. Jacob addresses these boys in verses five, six, and seven. He said, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Remember, this is fruit. This is who they are. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob chastised these two boys for their spirit of anger, wrath, and cruelty. Reuben was uncontrolled in his fleshly lusts and fleshly passions. Simeon and Levi, they were uncontrolled in their anger and in their temper. Listen, all three of them, all three of them refused to ever make this right. It's the fruit of unconfessed sin. The Bible tells us that these boys, Simeon and Levi, they would try to avenge their sister's honor And they did so by slaying all of the males in a city, the city of Shechem. The Bible tells us that. Jacob was displeased when it happened, and their refusal to repent and their refusal to confess that they were wrong left them subject to his judgment on judgment day. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 34 and verse number 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Now notice what they said, and they said, and they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? You know what that is? That's justification for their actions. That's a refusal to confess and to get right. You know what they should have said? They should have said, you know what, you're right. We were wrong. We've sinned. But that attitude does not dwell in these boys. That attitude does not dwell. And by the way, so often I find that that attitude doesn't dwell in us either. When we sin, and when we know we've sinned, and we've done wrong, we look for ways to justify it. We look for ways to argue as to why it's okay that we did whatever it was that we did. I'm just here to tell you, listen, you'll never be right with God until you confess your sin, and you repent of your sin, and you forsake your sin. Some of us, some of us perhaps, We think everything is okay, but one of these days we'll stand before God in judgment and we'll stand before him and we'll have unconfessed sin in our lives and he'll deal with it then. He'll deal with it then. We see the fruit of unconfessed sin, but notice we see the fruit of repentance. 
In verses 8 through 12, remember, this judgment is based upon fruit, because by their fruits you shall know them. We discover the fruit of repentance in verses 8 through 12. Judah, Jacob's fourth son, is, is praised and lifted up in these verses. To him will belong some of the privileges of the firstborn, even though he was born fourth. His brethren, Jacob says, will praise him and bow before him. And he has guaranteed supremacy over his enemies. He is to be as strong as a lion. From him will come the ruler in Israel, the Messiah. And in his days there will be rest and peace. As we read this, we think, well, man, Judah must have been an impressive figure. Compared to Reuben and Simeon and Levi, he must not have been guilty of some of the same things that that those men did. But a closer look, a closer look reveals he wasn't that impressive either. That, That his past, listen, his past is just as shady and just as corrupt as anything that Reuben did and anything that Simeon and Levi did. And so we ask the question, well, what gives? According to Scripture, he was the one who was responsible for the plan to sell Joseph and, and, the, and to lie about it. We read that in Genesis 37, 26. This is Judah. This is the one being praised in these verses. He, he raised, the Bible says, he raised wicked children. He had three sons. At least the first two were wicked and evil, and, and God slew both of them for their wickedness, according to Genesis 38, verses 7 and 10. And if that weren't bad enough, listen, the same chapter tells us that this same man, he conceived a child with his own daughter-in-law. In Genesis 38, and verse number 18, when she posed as an harlot. So we're asking the question, well, Lord, what gives? Why, why is this guy celebrated and praised and honored and and, and given, the, given the rights of the firstborn, he's just as wicked. He's probably even more wicked than his older brothers. What gives? How can Judah be lifted up when he's guilty of similar things? Listen, the difference is found in repentance. The difference is found in repentance. Hold your place in Genesis 49. I want you to see, I want you to see his attitude in Genesis 38 when he's confronted with the sin and wickedness that he had had an immoral relationship with his own daughter-in-law. Look what he says in verse number 26. And Judah acknowledged them and said about this daughter-in-law, she has been more righteous than I because that I gave her not to Shelah, my son, and he knew her again no more. Listen, that last phrase is so important. Because true repentance is not just saying I messed up. True repentance is saying I blew it, I messed up, and I'm not doing it again. That's that's true repentance. And that's where Judah was. Would you you go with me to Genesis chapter number 44? And would you look? So so Judah's the one that conjured up this plan. We're going to sell Joseph. And we're going to lie about it. Notice Notice Judah's attitude in verse number 16 of Genesis 44. And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. You know what that is? That's repentance. 
That's Judah saying, what, what, what more can I say? I mean, I could argue, I suppose. But no, God has figured this whole thing out and we are guilty. That's repentance. And that's why, listen, that's why on the day of judgment, that's why Judah is lifted up. That's why Judah is praised. That's why Judah is blessed. Can I just say this? Listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, sin that has been confessed, sin that has been repented of, and sin that has been forsaken will be unknown. What a glorious thought, isn't that? Isn't that a glorious thought? Because some of you, you're carrying some things, and you've got some baggage, and you've done some things, and I've done some things that we don't want anyone to know about. And you're sitting here saying, you're gonna, you mean i got to stand before the Lord, and he's going to make known, he's going to reveal the things that I've done? Not if you've confessed, and you've repented, and you've forsaken of those things. See, on the day of judgment, Jacob doesn't say a word about Judah's wicked boys. He doesn't say a word about Judah's evil plan to sell Joseph into slavery and lie about it. He doesn't say a word about Judah conceiving a child with his own daughter-in-law. No, all of that is forgotten about. And Judah's lifted up and praised. Why? Because Judah had a spirit of repentance. You're here today. You've got some sin in your life. You know it. What should you do with that? Answer's pretty clear, isn't it? Repent of it. Forsake it. Do it again no more. And allow the Lord to put that away. Listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah 44, 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. And as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Micah 7, verse number 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Listen, God is waiting. God is waiting for you this morning. If you'll come to him and you'll bring your baggage, you'll bring your sin, you'll bring your transgressions and your wickedness, there is a God in heaven who delights in mercy. You know, we, we, this world doesn't delight in mercy a whole lot. But our God in heaven delights in mercy. And if you'll bring it to him, listen, he'll blot out your sins like a thick cloud. The Bible says he'll bury them in the depths of the deepest sea. He'll cast them behind his back. He'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. He will remember them no more. But they must, they must be repented of, confessed, and forsaken. Notice there's a third truth that we find about Judgment Day going back to Genesis 49, and that is this. Third truth is this. All must appear before judgment. All must appear before judgment. You say the names Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Well, we all know them. We know a lot about them. The Bible records some of their stories. Some of them get a whole chapter. Some of it's not great, but it's there. We, we at least know what they're guilty of or what they've done. Notice the next verses, beginning in verse 13, down through verse number 21, contain names like Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, and then after Joseph, because he was born last, a name like Benjamin. Issachar and Zebulun were the youngest of Leah's sons, according to Genesis 35, 23. 
Benjamin was the youngest son of Rachel, according to Genesis 35, 24. And the other four, they were the children of the handmaids, Bilhah and Zilpah. As far as we know, none of them, none of them really are especially influential or noteworthy. But listen, listen, no one, no one can avoid the judgment. No, no, their, their names are all listed. And there's a word or two, there's a sentence or two said about each and every one of them. You see, Paul wrote these words. We read them earlier. Here's what he wrote, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. See, nobody knows my name in this church. I slip in and I slip out. If I weren't here, no one would even notice. I'm a pretty simple, ordinary person. Listen, you'll, you'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There might be someone maybe watching online. I don't even go to the church. I just tune in online. I watch from my home or from work or wherever I am. Surely, surely, I, I won't have to stand before judgment, not, not according to the Apostle Paul. No, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone, everyone has their moment. Everyone will stand and perhaps kneel before God and he will call out your name. As Jacob called out the names of his sons, Zebulun in verse 13, Issachar verse 14, Dan in verse number 16, Gad in verse number 19, and Asher in verse 20, verse 21, Naphtali, verse 27, Benjamin. You may not be well known for good or for bad, but the Father knows you. And he will judge you along with every other human being who has ever lived. There is no escaping this judgment for the small or for the great. All must appear before judgment. Fourthly and finally this morning, we discover in this text that crowns are reserved for the faithful. Crowns are reserved for the faithful. Would you look with me in verse 26? Jacob speaking to Joseph sort of been the center of our story throughout this whole study. Look what he says, the blessings, Joseph, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors or above the blessings of my father and my grandfather under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph, notice, and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Though several of the others are rewarded and praised, Perhaps only Judah rivals Joseph on this judgment day. Remember why is Joseph, Judah celebrated because of repentance? Joseph is crowned by his father in these areas for his faithfulness. Number one, Joseph is crowned with fruitfulness, according to verse number 22. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bow or a fruitful vine, even a fruitful vine by a well or bow by a well, whose branches run over the wall. Jacob declares Joseph to be fruitful. The other sons would have only one portion, but you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Joseph would have two in his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. His crowning of fruitfulness cannot be contained as Jacob declares that his branch or his bow, his vine runs over the wall that was designed to keep it in. Now, I don't know about you, I like the sound of overflow when it comes to blessing. I like that, don't you? 
I like the thought that, 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 that what Jacob says here, he says, you know, you know, your fruitfulness was designed to be contained and there was a wall that was built, but you're gonna be so fruitful that your, your fruitfulness is going to grow over that wall. It's gonna exist far beyond the wall that was designed to contain it. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for this church. I, I, want, I want us to grow beyond what, what anybody thought possible. That's what he says. He says, you'll be fruitful. You're crowned with fruitfulness. Notice Joseph is crowned with strength in verses 23 and 24. Notice the Bible says, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Listen, here's what you must know. God doesn't eliminate adversaries. Paul wrote that there were many adversaries to the work of God and to open doors, according to 1 Corinthians 16, 9. The enemies, listen, the enemies of Joseph, primarily his brothers, they grieved him. They shot at him. They hated him. You know what that means? That simply means that Joseph's life wasn't easy. But what did God do? God was near to Joseph every step of the way. And God strengthened Joseph's hands so that they were strong and mighty. And listen, I believe God can do the same for you. In our weakness, we've talked about this quite a bit this year. In our weakness, his strength rises to perfection. And his grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. Joseph is crowned with strength. Doesn't mean that Joseph didn't have problems and issues. He had, he had his fair share of them. But God met him in every one of his problems, every one of his issues, and gave him strength. Lastly and finally, Joseph is crowned with blessing. Verses 25 and 6. Did you know in those two verses, the word bless or blessings is found five times in just two verses alone. In our study, covered some difficult days in Joseph's life. But we look at him now, and where is he now? He's, he's, no longer, he's no longer a slave in Potiphar's house. He's no longer in a pit crying out for his brother's help. He's no longer in an Egyptian prison cell. No, no, today he sits in the palace. Today he is crowned with blessings. Jacob claimed about himself, that he was more blessed than his father and his grandfather. And he said, Joseph, you're gonna excel me in blessings. Why? Because Joseph was faithful. And Joseph lived a life, Jacob said it, separate from his brethren. While his brothers lived to please themselves, Joseph lived in light of a crowning day that had not yet come. But it shows up in Genesis 49. And I just want you to know something, listen, Listen, all of us are headed on a collision course with judgment. If you're lost today, the judgment you'll stand before, if you remain in your lost condition, is known as the great white throne judgment. The judgment on that day is perfect. There'll be no opportunity to offer a defense. There'll be no, there'll be no lawyer that will stand next to you and argue your case. No, no, the decision will already have been made and the decision will be final. You stand before that judgment, the great white throne judgment, and you understand this, that you will spend eternity forever in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. The Bible says there the fire never goes out, the worm is not quenched. It is, it is, a, it is a terrible, terrible place. And you don't have to go there. You can make a decision today to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God gives you the choice. And many have walked in these doors, they've heard the message of the gospel, and they've decided not for me. And they've walked out, to their eternal doom. Don't be that person today. You can avoid the judgment 
that is known as the great white throne judgment. Those of you that are in here today that are saved, you're born again, you'll stand in judgment someday as well. You'll stand in what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. You say, what's the difference? How do I stand there and receive crowns? How do I stand there and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Live according to this book. Obey God and obey his word. Stay sensitive to his leading, his Holy Spirit. And when you sin, because we all do, confess it, repent of it, and forsake it. And you can rest assured that you'll stand on that day of judgment. The book will be open. God will look and he'll say, what, what sin? I don't find any sin here. Say, I, I, know, I know I was a sinner. And the answer is the blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of your sin. As a thick cloud, God, God chooses not to see it, not to remember it, not to bring it up. Just as Jacob said about Judah, hey, listen, you're blessed. They've done the same things. The difference, unconfessed sin against the fruit of repentance. So what will it be for you today? Some of you need to be born again. You need to be saved. Will you trust Christ today? Some of you, you have been saved, but you know, you know you've tolerated some sin in your life. It's not been confessed. It's not been repented of. It's not been forsaken yet. Today's the day. Get a fresh start. Start anew. Start fresh. And look, look forward to that day of judgment, knowing that you're prepared to meet your God. Our